Austin from the Brandy Austin Law Firm, and this is Disclosure, Divorce in Texas. Thank you for joining us on our third episode of Disclosure, Divorce in Texas. Today, we're going to talk about surviving the initial confrontation in your divorce. My name is Brandy Austin, and I'm an attorney licensed and practicing in Arlington, Texas, the Brandy Austin Law Firm. I graduated from Baylor Law School, and my practice focuses primarily on litigation, and that just means that I go to court. One area of law that goes to court a lot is family law. We get multiple consultations every month in the area of family law. So many questions and misinformation out there that we wanted to do a podcast. So I have with me Larry Mike. Hi, everyone. My name is Larry Mike. I'm also an attorney licensed and practicing in Arlington, Texas, and I am also with the Brandy Austin Law Firm. I'm a graduate of Texas Wesleyan University School of Law, which many of you now know as Texas A&M School of Law. My entire practice is dedicated to family law and helping families through difficult times and sometimes happy times. I've worked in several areas of law, but family law just seemed to fit me like a glove. With family law, it keeps me on my toes, it keeps me emotionally engaged, and I want to share what I know with you guys and help get people on the right path for them. What's our philosophy? Well, our philosophy is really to give families the information they need, answer any questions, and let them make the best decisions for them and support them in any way that we can. At the end of the day, we go home to our own families and our own choices, and we want the clients to be happy going home to their choices and do what's best for them. Without further ado, Larry. What is the initial confrontation in your divorce? The initial confrontation in a divorce is what we call temporary orders. What are temporary orders? So think of it this way. If we, if we put it simply and basic, it's a Band-Aid solution for the families while they're going through this divorce process to hold them over until we get to the final hearing. Okay, so it's just temporary. Everything's just temporary. All right, so why do we say it's the initial confrontation? Because this this may be the first time that the spouses have interacted with each other since the divorce was filed. Uh, Sometimes the parties have already separated and they've moved to different houses, Mm -hmm. so this will be the first time that they actually come together and see that other person again. Temporary orders, I believe, are really important because they help kind of give families an idea of what life is going to look like after the divorce is finalized. This will be something in place with an outline of what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it, when and where, and All the nitty-gritty details will be in this order. Sometimes the temporary orders aren't quite as detailed as a final order, but it does give you a good idea of what your life is going to look like. So emotionally preparing for the temporary orders hearing is kind of a big deal. And we've found over time that men and women kind of approach this differently. Larry, what, what do you see in men who are approaching the temporary orders hearing? Well, most of the time what I see from men... uh, coming to this temporary orders hearing and and then getting them into the office and preparing for things are there's a varying degrees of symptoms that are going on they're angry they're confused they're uninformed this breakup that just seems to them is just totally out of the blue they start thinking about okay what's next they start wondering okay do i have custody things that i've got to worry about child support how, how are the assets going to be divided? We've got property, I've got debt. And then on top of that, a lot of men who, when they go and they do their own Google research. Stay off of Google. I'm telling you, it's, 
the internet is a crazy thing, but you know, they go on these forums and they'll see people who have had certain cases that uh, they've had a ruling where they start to think anytime a man goes into a court and there's a divorce, there's this inherent bias in the system. Actually, I found nationally the research shows that generally the children go with whoever was with them the most. The majority of the time, 80% of couples come to that conclusion together. But if you look at the amount of fathers who actually try to get primary custody, it it ends up about equal, right? Yeah. So if you are a father who wants 50-50 or wants primary custody and you fight for it, you have just as much ground to stand on. Exactly. The courts, they look at this, the best interest of the child. And a lot of times I have clients who come in and they're like, yes, I, I want this. And then you ask them like, okay, well, tell me about their schooling. Tell me about uh, their, their sleeping habits, their, anything that you do other than the fun times. If you have, if you have male clients who are una- unable to do that, then it kind of makes it hard to go in front of a judge and say, hey, I've been the primary caregiver, this is what I've done. Because if a judge hears nothing but fun stuff, but hears the mom say, I do this, 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 and this. Here's their doctor's name. Here's their teacher's name. Here are the PTA schedules. Mm-hmm. That, that's what makes it hard. And we have a document that we can put on the show notes for this episode that shows the best interest, what the court considers, and kind of explains a little bit about each one. You can find that on our website at brandyaustinlaw.com, and it's under the media tab. Women, I find that there's a lot of sadness and a feeling of failure. No one goes into a marriage uh, expecting a divorce. So a lot of women internalize that and feel like they're a failure. They're angry sometimes. Maybe they feel like the other party's to blame. Maybe there's drugs or cheating or stealing, whatever it could be. They have a lot of anger and they haven't worked through that yet. And that anger and sadness and failure leads to this fear of, oh my God, what is going to happen? What is the judge going to say? The judge is going to hate me. There's Everything that a woman says to herself internally is, is something that she's going to project onto the court and onto the judge. It's going to be a whole lot of, I didn't do this, so I'm afraid the judge is going to say this, or, or he did that and he should have to pay. There's a lot of projection that happens. It's important for both male and female clients to understand that the judge, in every instance, sees this all day long, every day, five days a week. I think they're like 50 weeks a year. I think they get vacation. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, do, they do leave at least one week I am aware of. You know, 50 weeks out of the year. That's a lot of divorce. That's a lot of family law cases. They're not emotionally involved, and they're going to approach it. Uh, based on the case law, based on the statutes, just kind of come about the divorce in a a, a very logical way. Explaining that to our clients is really important and and really make sure they understand that all of these emotions are going to be there, and that's okay. We're human. Uh, We wouldn't be human or people or have feelings if we didn't experience ups and downs. So the emotionally preparing for the temporary orders hearing is just about understanding what the court's going to look for and understanding both the male's point of view and the female's point of view and and trying to redirect that emotion, right? That's correct. I mean, a lot of preparation for temporary orders is actually tempering those emotions to the point where I know it's hard to separate emotions in business, but I try to tell clients, look, you got to separate that. This is business right now. 
if you go into this thing full of emotions, you're gonna make an emotional decision that may not be in the best interest of you, your soon-to-be former spouse, or your children. Mm, that's right. So we've talked a lot about temporary orders hearings, so let's go a little more in detail. What exactly is it? Temporary orders hearing is a real hearing in court. It's where your attorney, the opposing counsel, get together, you're either at a table or you're in front of the, the judge, witnesses are presented, evidence is presented to the court to support the petition that was filed or the motion for temporary orders. And essentially it's an entire hearing to show the judge what you want or what the other side wants so the court can make a decision. Initially, everyone always goes in wondering what's going to happen with the kids, right? That's correct. What kinds of things are the, is the court looking for to make that determination? What the court does is, is one of the things that they, they decide on is the conservatorship as, aspect, the rights and duties of the parents. You've got joint managing conservatorship, you have a sole managing conservatorship, and then you have a possessory conservatorship. So what the court looks at is they, they try to see if both parties can be joint managing conservators, and if not, then if the evidence shows that one person should be a sole managing conservator and one should be a possessory, then the court will make that decision. Along with conservatorship is possession and access. Other people call it visitation, but specific judges say Visitation is what you do at jail. Yes. Possession is what you do with your kids. You have them yes. in your possession. You don't visit them. Exactly. Because you love them and you care for them. What type of possession and access things should uh, our clients look out for? So with possession and access, you've got the standard possession order, which is basically 6 p.m. on Friday until 6 p.m. on Sunday. During the school year, you have 6 to 8 p.m. on Thursdays. Uh, you also have your spring breaks, your Christmas, Thanksgiving, the every other holiday. You've got uh, 30 days in the summer, child's birthday, mother's 30 birthday. 30 days day. in the summer? What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Yeah. Is that something that people, they, they're like, wait, wait, what? I don't get to see my kids for 30 whole days? Yeah. That's not exactly it, but... Yeah, not exactly it. I mean, because whoever is not the primary, whoever has the, uh, the, the possession schedule then they can designate like a weekend out of that time period to see the kids. But it is 30 days. It is 30 days. So it's important to note, Yeah, 30 all days. parents, please understand, there will be a 30-day period if you have a, the standard possession schedule and not a 50-50 agreement or 50-50 order. No. Then there will be a whole month where you only get a weekend. Yeah. Uh, be prepared for that. So 50-50 is an option though, right? 50-50 is an option. And, you know, with a... With, uh, before we talk about 50-50, there's also an expanded standard that expands on the standard possession. Uh, then you've got this 50-50 where it could be one week on, one week off. It could be there's a cer certain orders where you have, let's say mom has Monday and Tuesday, every Monday and Tuesday. Dad has Wednesday and Thursday, and then they alternate weekends. Mm -hmm. Basically with the 50-50, I mean you literally have 50-50 possession. So you did mention uh, expanded standard. Yes. It's important. I can't stress this enough. And this is one of the things that I think most people don't know. If you are allowed or the court feels like everything is okay and you can have regular standard possession, you are entitled. If you request expanded, which just gives you like an extra extra day, it's like Thursday to Sunday or Thursday to Monday morning at school, right? Right. You can get that. All you have to do is say it. And a lot of people who, especially those who think they can handle the divorce on their own, sometimes forget it or don't know it. Yes, if you, as the 
parent who doesn't designate the residence want expanded standard do you just say it to the court and the court has to give it to you if you are entitled or if you're allowed to have standard possession and a lot of times that's that's what we see when when i have clients and they want the 50 50 i always try to have an alternative there as well and the alternative would be the the expanded that's a pretty sneaky move you got there <laughs> <laughs> don't give away all our secrets on here <laughs> okay along with possession and access and conservatorship and there are a list of rights and duties i think we can probably put that uh, in the show notes as well it's important for everyone to understand you, you have to list them out conservatorship possession and access child and spousal maintenance yes so let's talk, talk about child support. Child support. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you, if you, so even if you do have 50-50, there's, there's potential to have child support. That's a more complicated issue. I would recommend um, definitely seeking an attorney for that if you want 50-50 and child support. There are a lot of issues that you have to work through, information that you need. Mm-hmm. It, it's a little more complicated. Let's just say somebody has standard possession or extended, expanded standard possession. They still have to pay child support, right? Yes. It, with the standard guidelines. But there's a chart, right? There is a chart. Yes, there is a chart uh, for however many children that you have. And then it depends on, let's say you have one child in this marriage, but then you were married before and you have another child for another marriage. The chart basically determines how many kids are before the court right now with this case, how many kids are outside of the court with a different case. But if it's just plain and simple, if you got one kid, then the courts can do the standard percentage, which is like 20%. Okay. So tell me, is child support tied to possession and access? For example, if you have supervised possession time with your children, do you still have to pay the full child support? You still have to pay child support, yes. What happens if you don't visit your child or take your child or possess your child at any time? Do you still have to pay child support? Yes, you still have to pay child support. What happens if your baby mama or baby daddy refuses to allow you to see your child do you still have to pay child support you still have to pay child support and but that's because possession is not tied to child support they are not the same thing yes they're not the same thing separate under the code and so the court treats them separately exactly they're separate issues if you aren't allowed to see your child for some reason and there is an order in place give us a call because we can help you with that okay so child support is pretty standard there's a chart it changes about every year um, yes. A little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. But what about spousal? We always get calls for spousal support. So tell me, tell me, can I get spousal support in Texas? It depends. I mean, it's not guaranteed. A lot of people who they say, well, you know, I was talking to Jackie Sue and she said that I can get it. And that's not the case. Like, it's not guaranteed. There are other states where <laughs> you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. But in Texas, There are things that you have to show to be able to get it. And one of the things that many people don't understand is if you are fully employed and you've had this job for however long and you have this career, don't expect to just say, well, now I need spousal maintenance. Because this is is, spousal maintenance geared towards the spouse who has come into this marriage, uh, you know, has given everything to this marriage, is not employed. The outlook for their career is... They're, they're going to have to need some money to, it's to get there. It's not as, as bright. Yes, not as, as bright. Yeah. It's just a, a temporary thing to help them get on their feet, to get whatever they need to get as far as their career so that they can excel on their own. Let's say I was married for, see, I don't know, 18 months, and I was really committed to the marriage. And I had to take 18 months off of school 
I was in school, but I had to take it off because my husband wanted me to travel with him to do whatever it is he wanted to do. <laughs> and I really need maintenance to make sure that I, I continue the same standard of care that I've had. No. No. <laughs> no. No. You have to actually have uh, like committed to the relationship for a long period of time, and you have to be in a position where you need a little help. Yes. Where you, the court will recognize that, hey, I see what you did in the relationship, so let me help you for a little while. It, it doesn't go on forever. This is in California. You don't yeah. get it forever, right? Yeah, you only get it for, for a few years. Okay, so no matter how long you were married, you still only get it for a allotted amount of time. Yes. Okay. While you're in this middle area of separated and getting a temporary order in place, you still have debts, right? There are credit cards that need to be paid the mortgage needs to pay be paid you have this new apartment or house that somebody's renting car payments what happens with all that like before i said this is a band-aid fix that's exactly what it is you put a band-aid on it and you stay the course i mean there are people who i've, I've got cases right now where people are just canceling insurance and they're taking people's names off of stuff and and you can't do that so you, you've well, got to stay the if, course. If there aren't any temporary orders in place, yeah. there's a chance that they can just remove you from things. Oh, yeah. And then once we get into court and get some temporary orders, we're going to get that stuff put back. Right. It, I can't say this enough. It's really important to get temporary orders, and it's also really important to maybe contact an attorney to see what mm-hmm. you're entitled to or what's rightfully yours under the law. We don't necessarily want to bulldoze someone if they don't deserve it I mean sometimes they do but if they don't deserve it we don't want to do that but we do want to get you into a position where you can start a new life you have to live after this and so we want to put you in the best position to do so so property who's going to get the house that depends on what I mean either the house can be sold the house can be when they sell it they'll they'll split the proceeds 50 50 one person can keep the house and buy out the other however much equity there is but you don't decide that at temporary you don't decide that at temporary orders let's say you have children and you've got whoever has the primary of the children more than likely they'll stay in that house so the children aren't disrupted and the other party will have to go and and find new accommodations now we can always come up with a creative solution too Um, the children can remain in the house and the parents can switch out yes and And i've seen that happen that allows um, the parents to get one small apartment uh, until they decide if they want to sell the house. The house it has too large of a payment, and money is overextended to maintain two households, and you can get a small studio apartment and just rotate yeah. until the end. So a six-month lease would probably work. But all of these things uh, we we look to the court for. And generally, when you go to a temporary orders hearing, we try to negotiate a resolution before we even get to court, right? That's correct. We definitely, any time that something is filed and, and attorneys get on it. I mean, our first thought is to call the other attorney to see what their side wants, to tell them what our side wants, and try to come up with something that is not very disruptive. In our initial consultations, we always ask you, what what do you want? What do you want from the divorce? What are you looking for? Um, and then we, we go off of that. And then we let you know what the other side wants, and it's kind of a back-and-forth negotiation until we get to court. Hopefully we can get to court, resolve any final issues, and get the judge to sign it. It's important to note, again, I, am, I'm, I feel like I'm always saying it's important to note, but if you cannot resolve it, you have to have a hearing. 
Yes, you have to have a hearing. And if you heard our last episode where we talk about evidence, this is where you're going to need that evidence, right? That's correct. And, you know, some people, what I, I try to tell them, like for temporary orders, I mean, we are preparing for a hearing. We bring clients in and we, we go over and, and we go through exactly what's, what's going to happen in court, questions we're going to talk about, prep them for the hearing. And you know, sometimes we get to the temporary orders hearing, agreements worked out, and we don't even have to have a full-on hearing, but preparation is key. Okay, so what are the top five things to consider before your day in court? Larry, what's number one? Well, number one, the, the first thing to consider, and it is the top thing, is that it's temporary. Right. I mean, this is not a permanent solution. Like I said, it's a Band-Aid fix to just keep you guys to stay the course until we get to a final settlement. Have you noticed that a lot of temporary orders end up being kind of an outline for the final order? Definitely. Preparation and not just caving because you don't want to deal with confrontation is important. You want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. And as your attorneys, we'll talk to you about that and tell you, hey, this is what you should look for and maybe that isn't such a good idea we'll do it in the best way possible but don't just give in because even though it's temporary it does act as an outline so what's number two the the number two thing that you want to think about is even though we've gone through all this preparation many times an agreement is worked out before the court even has time to make a decision so does that mean I don't have to pay for that preparation time you still have to pay for the preparation time. Okay, so we get that question a lot too. If we are working on your case, uh, then we have to bill you for it because you are people who have families who have to pay our bills. This is our job. This is what we do for a living every day. We prepare for it just like it's a final hearing, even though it's temporary. Even with all that preparation, sometimes it works out. Yeah, sometimes it works out. And one of the things that I like to tell people all the time is, It is better to be able to come to a decision with you and your soon-to-be former spouse, who both of you know each other, you know your situation, than going in front of someone who will only know you for an hour that will make a decision on your life. A lot of people who, when they come to a decision and they're able to work it out, it's just great. So number three is you have to live with this temporary order until there's a final decision. Yes and no. (laughs) So mostly yes. Mostly yes. And we can talk about no in a little, a few minutes. We'll talk about no in a few minutes. Mostly yes. If we put a temporary order in place, it's expensive to get there. It is. And we don't want to have to do it again unless there's an issue. If it's not working for you, think about what exactly is not working. And then maybe we can try to work out a a reasonable solution. Because if it's not working for you, it may not be working for the other party either. Right. And then, and then the children, too. If, if you have children and there is a parenting plan in place and it's just not working for the kids and the kids are acting out, then definitely both parties are going to feel that and something needs to change to make sure the kids are okay. And the kids need to be okay. Yes. Number four is we need evidence. Just like in our last podcast, we did a whole podcast episode on what is evidence and what is not evidence in family law court. And we need a whole lot of what is evidence for your temporary hearing. That's correct. That is, I I can't stress enough how important evidence is, uh, especially at a temporary orders hearing, because I'll have clients come in and say, oh yeah, I've got this, 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 and this. And I'm like, bring that in. I need it. And I'm harping on them, calling and emailing and saying, bring it in. And when we do our preparation for the, hear- for the temporary orders hearing, they still haven't gotten me the evidence. 
And then the day of, they still haven't gotten me the evidence, but then they expect me to work a miracle when if I don't have evidence, I'm So if I warm. fax you or email you the night before my evidence, does that work for you? <laughs> it doesn't work for me. No, we have to have so many copies. <laughs> like there are procedure requirements. There, there have to be so many copies, one for you, one for the other side, one for the judge, one for the attorney. There's a lot of things that go into it. They have to be marked and labeled. There's a list that needs to be prepared and filed with the court. There's a lot of different things that you have to do. Uh, temporary orders come pretty quickly. You come to our office, I say maybe six to eight weeks we can get you into a temporary hearing. And in that time, we need you to collect your evidence. We need you to bring it to us. We need to review it. And then we need to bring you back in so that we can go over what exactly we're going to do that day, right? That's correct. And we also have that meeting about emotions at the same time. Yes, definitely. That's Yes, we have that meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the top five things to consider before your day in court. One, that it's temporary. Two, that uh, many times an agreement is worked out before the court decides what's going to be in the order. Number three, that you'll have to live with it mostly until the decision is final, that you will need to prepare and bring your evidence. And number five is please consider how this will impact the children. That is, you know, that's that's one of the most important things as well. I mean, because... Children, they're going through their own emotional state. They're seeing what, where mommy and daddy were together in the house. Now they're splitting up, and then they're wondering all kinds of things. In this, in this whole process, you have to ensure that the children are kept in, in the mode where it's like we're just going to keep going, pushing through, keep them happy, and just focus on those kids. So we've talked about... Uh, what is a temporary orders hearing? We've talked about what to consider um, before your day in court, but let's talk about what happens if it doesn't go your way that day. What's the first thing that we tell our clients? It's only temporary. It is only temporary. It isn't. It, it could be an outline for the final, but it actually is only temporary. If we want to start over with new evidence or evidence that you didn't provide us the first time, then we have an opportunity to do so, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, number two is we can collect more evidence between the temporary orders hearing and the final, it's a trial date technically, so the final trial, right? Yeah, you can collect more evidence. And so like the evidence we were asking for you to bring all the way up until the temporary orders hearing, if you bring it in between that time frame, then we can look at it and review it. And then you have to pay again for the day in court. That's correct. <laughs> so try to get the evidence ahead of time. But also, I always recommend that my clients keep a calendar, a handwritten calendar. It's pretty old school. I am not old school, but I find that it works best. If you keep a calendar, one that has the little blocks with the days of the month in it and lines, and put every interaction that you have between you and your spouse or any issues with kids each day, then we can just turn that calendar over to the court if we need to to show a pattern if you start that from the day you come to see me all the way until the end and we have a pretty good idea of what's going on and what's right and what's not right and what we can do to fix it number three what's number three Uh, the number three thing is you can see your weakness and you can reevaluate your position so if you didn't get what you wanted maybe just maybe it's not the best decision yes i don't know it's a crazy idea (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and you know, a lot of times when, for people, they, they've never been in court. Mm-hmm. So this is their first time in court, and no matter how much we can, we can prep you on, hey, this is what you do when you sit up there and you testify, and you can go over the questions that you're gonna, going to ask. Sometimes people get up there and they just go blank. 
But we do try to coach you ahead of time. We do. I, I put in so much coaching. But sometimes they go blank, and then it's like, oh, I, I meant to say this, or I meant to say that. You see what it's like. You, you have that initial stage fright. So next time when you're up there, if you get up there again and testify, you'll know what to expect. We're not going to leave you hanging if you're no. up there. Definitely not. You staring know, at us. <laughs> you know, what, what I do, the times that I've encountered a, a client when I've asked them a question, and it's what they've told me, and they are not giving me the answer that they told me. So I keep going and going to try to coach them as best as I can until the other side objects for me leading them. But I try my best to lead them through it so that we can get what, what we need out. So there are procedural requirements. We can't just hand you the information and you agree to it. You have to actually say it on your own. Um, but we do try to let you know what we would like you to say in advance. And if you don't say it when we ask you to, we'll restate the question. I often move closer to them or stand in front of them or stand up, depending on whose court I am. Again, procedural requirements. If I'm allowed to stand, I do stand. And if someone is going blank, then I'll just move right in front of them and make them look at me and answer the question. (laughs) Sometimes that helps if you redirect their attention. It can be scary. Maybe it is a weakness that you have. Maybe we should reevaluate, but we can talk about all of that after the temporary orders hearing is complete. And finally, so Larry, I have decided that I just don't like the order. I don't, I don't want to have to drop the kids off at my spouse's house. Um, so I'm not going to do it. What happens to me? Yeah, if, well, if you don't do it, they're going to file uh, what's called a motion for enforcement. You can be held in contempt for not following that order. Well, does that mean I go to jail? It is a possibility. That's right, people. (laughs) You can go to jail if you don't follow the order. I know you don't like it. It may not be the best option for you at this moment. It may not work for either of you, but until the order says differently or there is an agreement entered between the parties and filed with the court, you must, absolutely must, follow the order. There is an exception, protecting your children, right? Yes, there's an an exception. So if, if something egregious is going on where your children are getting hurt, then yes, definitely. I mean, I, I would advise parents to focus on your children and What is and the first them. thing you do if you think your child is in danger? You call the police? That's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you can call us if we're your attorneys, if, if you want to. But if it is 7.30 p.m. and you can't get a hold of somebody, you call the police. Yeah, call the police. The first question a judge is going to ask you is, you thought your kid was in danger and they were in the possession of the other party. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so, so not that much danger, right? If you call us and there's something just horrendous going on with your children, I mean, we've got an ethical duty to report that mm-hmm. as well. So you can't call us and say, well, yeah, don't tell anybody because we're, we're going we're gonna to tell somebody. And that's all in our contract. So yeah. um, attorneys and a lot of professionals are required to report any potential abuse or neglect to CPS. And CPS will investigate or not investigate. Reporting duty is is just that, report it. Yes. So, all right. Well, thank you for joining us today. We talked about the temporary orders hearing. What is it? uh, The things you need to consider before you go to court and what happens if it doesn't go your way. We do have a list of resources for you regarding this podcast, and you can find them on our website if you go to brandyaustinlaw.com and look under the media tab on the top right. Uh, Please feel free to contact us anytime, 817-841-9906. Look us up under Facebook or on Facebook under Brandy Austin Law or reach us online, www.brandyaustinlaw.com. That's Brandy like the wine, Austin like the city. Law is in what we do. 
Are you required to have an attorney? No, you're not required to have an attorney. In fact, you can represent yourself, but you have to understand that you'll be expected to follow all the court procedures, file the appropriate pleadings, and present your own case. And if you don't know the law or haven't even practiced the law, you could be in for a world of hurt. All that procedure stuff we talked about. You're listening to Brandy Austin Law Firm's Disclosure, Divorce in Texas podcast miniseries. Tune in to our next podcast in the series. It will be How to Live in Limbo Before Your Divorce is Granted. This information in the podcast and or video referred to as media is provided for general informational purposes only and may not reflect the current law in your jurisdiction. No information contained in this media should be construed as legal advice of Brandy Austin Law Firm, Brandy Austin, or Larry Mike, nor is it intended to be a substitute for legal counsel on any subject matter. No viewer or listener of this media should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this media without seeking the appropriate legal or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances at issue from a lawyer licensed in the recipient state, country, or other appropriate licensing jurisdiction. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you listen to our next podcast.